Hi, I'm Doug. And I'm David. And we are Beyond Hungry. David, what are we going to talk about today? Um, today, we're going to go back to our interview that happened early in the year with Kenya Calderon Ceron. She's a fellow podcaster. Her podcast is called Coffee with Kenya. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. She is a blogger, activist, and what I consider a people's champion. Uh, early this year, she was on Business of Records 40 Under 40 for 2021, which is when we interviewed her just after it was announced. Let's get to it. Let's go. Good morning, first of all. Good morning. Are you a morning person? I am probably the chair of the morning person committee because I love morning so much. Yes, I'm a morning person. And yeah, which is why I'm excited that you all like we decided to record it at this time. Because if you were to ask around three, my brain is just kind of not working. Mm-mm. Yeah. So what what yes. what time do you normally get up? Like what's your morning routine? So in the winter, 730. In the summer, 545, 6. Whoa. Uh, that's what I'm telling you. I'm the chair. <laughs> the chair. <laughs> well, like, yeah. whoa for two reasons. One, like, 545 is very early. But but two, like, there's there's a big discrepancy in there on, like, a seasonal basis. Like, what's that about? Mm-hmm. Why, why, why winter to, to, to summer? Is it the sun? No, I work out in my garage in the summer. And oh. so I like to, I start my workouts around 6 in the morning. So... 15 minutes to get ready. And mm. then breakfast is my fav- favorite meal of the day. So I like to take my time cooking breakfast. So okay. I can't do that if I wake up like at nine, you know? Oh, so yeah. so what, what, mm-hmm. okay, what's your breakfast? We have to ask. Yeah, yeah. What's the breakfast? Breakfast. Okay. I alternate between fried eggs and meatless patties. And then I used to be into oatmeal. So my oatmeal looked all pretty, you know, with like all these different like <laughs> toppings, but I've kind of gone away from that. So what else do I have for breakfast? I've been doing a little bit of toast. So salmon with cream cheese and a, mm. and a sourdough toast too. So nice. Love that. Mm-hmm. that sounds, and my coffee that really for good. sure. So your coffee. Mm-hmm. Nice. What, what's your what's your go to brew method? Do you have a Keurig? Do you have a Chemex? What do you? No. How do you do it? So I recently got into. I don't know what to call it, but it's very common among. I would leave Cubans and Italians. It's like this little kettle. It's like Espresso you know maker. what it's called. The stovetop espresso. The Bialetti. Yeah. So like you put the water in the, in the bottom and it just will make its way up to the top. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I bought that just because I thought it looked cute, but it actually, <laughs> I feel like it makes the best coffee I've ever had. And so I have a milk brother. So I just brew, uh, I just make my coffee hot, a little bit of milk, um, like, um, oat milk creamer and that's it. Love it. That's awesome. Love it. it yeah. sounds really good. I, I did not eat breakfast today, so now I'm starving already. Like, no, Doug. Not... <laughs> the most important meal of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that uh, yeah. a little bit. So morning person, uh, you're definitely yeah. an always eat breakfast person. D- David, about, what about you? Are you are you a breakfast person? I can't remember. I am a breakfast person, but it's pretty simple. I don't get very like elaborate. I usually make eggs, like an egg sandwich in the morning. But usually mm. if I work out, if I just do like a protein shake with like, I'll throw oats in there, banana, peanut butter, 
and uh, mm. you know sunflower seeds, and pretty much just go wow. go through that. But usually it's like eggs over rice. It's something that Megan mm. taught me. And I think I've talked that. about it in the past episodes. You know, like the sunny side egg on mm. on rice. So love that. And, and you both are are workout in the morning people as well. So which is like I I've I've tried that, and for like I think six months I was able to do that, but. I can't do it anymore. I don't know what it is. Oh, so I, you know, don't feel too bad because I think that's why I wake up later in the winter because I cannot work. I cannot work out in the winter in the morning. Yeah. So I usually work out like at eleven thirty, or mm. after I make my lunch, then I can work out and then I come back and eat because I think we go through seasons when we can actually wake <laughs> up. Yeah, I think it's good to acknowledge that. I think that's yes. that, that's good to acknowledge. That. That's great. Yeah, because David, you work out in the morning because I I get notifications from David on my on my watch, <laughs> and he's just like, David's closest rings. I'm like, it is nine a.m. in the morning. What is going on? Like, I haven't even done anything. Yet. Well, I do because that's the only time I have. Like, it's the only part of the day yeah. that I have time for it. And if I wake up late and I don't get it, like, I'm not gonna get it in the evening. I just don't have the time for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've become. And now, if I miss my workout in the morning. I have low energy and mm. I just don't feel as good throughout the day. Yeah, I, I do miss that. I, I need to get back to trying to to get workouts in the morning. I, I need to crawl my way back to that. But. I think the other part of it is like scheduling it, um, running it down and scheduling it. My mm. thing that's benefited me is the the app I use. Like it's a max thirty five minute workout, so I just know that mm. I, I I can just get it in thirty five minutes. Yeah, but, I love that. So tell us more about yourself, Kenyatic. You're you're under the forty under forty recently. <laughs> That's exciting. I didn't know you were gonna drop that. I'm not ready to. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. I uh, I didn't expect that to to go through, to be honest. But I think um, I was nominated by a great group of mentors. My favorite thing about my nomination is that they included all of my activism work. And, and, you know, I think there is a belief that you can't mix activism with your career. Mm. And so I thought that was really cool to that my nomination packet, I was able to see it. And yeah, it was a lot of what I've done in my career, you know, as a consultant and working with credit unions in the financial industry, which a lot of people don't know that, but I, that's what I do. And but they also included my advocacy, my civic engagement that I do. So I thought that was really cool. And that's why I wasn't sure if that was going to be selected. But yeah, it's been, it's been, it's, it's, I'm not going to lie. I think it's, it's, it feels good to be recognized for some of the things that you didn't really think people were paying attention about. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And the one thing that when you were posting about it and you made many posts about thanking your parents for the, the opportunity and we're, what, what from your parents gave you like the motivation and, and what, how do they contribute to your success? Yeah. So I, I like to acknowledge where, where do my beliefs come from and why I am the way that I am. And it's mostly be, it's because of them. So they, uh, they made the hard decision to illegally migrate to this country and they made it they never lied to us. So they told us we're going to to the United States for safety and because we want you all to to achieve something. We want you all to to do and live a a peaceful life. And so that was always instilled in me. So it was like you're going to go to college because actually 
they never really told me that. I just knew that I was supposed to go to college. And yeah. so I, I acknowledge the sacrifices that they have made for us to be where we are at today. They haven't been pretty sacrifices. Um, so we'll get into this in a little bit, but um, I'm not a first generation student because both of my parents went to college in El Salvador. And when people hear that, they're like, oh, like, you know, they might become from like a wealthy family. But what people don't know is that growing up, they had to pick coffee to be able to pay for their uniforms. And which is why my podcast and my blog is called Coffee with Kenya. It's not just because I like coffee, but it's because my parents physically picked coffee growing up to be able to to go to school. And so... So I saw the sacrifices that they had to make because it wasn't easy for them to get a college education back home. Um, And they still made the decision to leave that behind and come to the United States and start working at McDonald's and start working as housekeepers when people didn't know that my dad has a law degree and my mom was really close to becoming a teacher in El Salvador. So I just, I've seen their humility and how good they are to not just our family, but to everybody else. And yeah, I just, I just owe it to, to them because everything that I am is because that's exactly how they are too. Wow. Real quick. So at what age did you, did you come to this country? I was 11. 11. So. Mm-hmm. And then how was 11. that journey like? Cause. Like, in what sense? In what sense? Like how was the journey from coming from El Salvador to the United States and like. Because you, you hear stories of the, the migrants, the caravans. Uh, my dad immigrated to this country illegally a couple times. And mm-hmm. just the journey, just even from like just Mexico, northern Mexico through the desert and the stories of like that. Like, how was your journey and what, what was your experience like? Yeah. So I think because I was 11 and I'm the oldest, I didn't question a whole lot. I just kind of saw it as an order. My parents were like, we're moving and I didn't, I don't, I really didn't want to, um, just because I had my whole life planned in my mind of like where I was going to live and where I wanted to go to college. And I was only 11. So <laughs> I didn't question it. I didn't tell them that I didn't quite understand what they meant by, by that. Um, but something that's very unique to Central Americans um, is that we have to cross many borders in order for us to get here. Um, and actually South Americans too, that, that make the journey. And so the worst in our, in, in Central America, people say that the worst border to cross is the Guatemalan and Mexican border. So like the U S and Mexican border is a piece of cake sometimes because the Guatemalan and Mexican border is just so harsh and Mexican authorities are, they're known for even more violent ways than U.S. patrol, right? So mm. my parents were really trying to avoid that for us. And I think because of my dad's job, so that is a piece of privilege that I think we had because of his job. And they saw that he, you know, he had some sort of career that we were able to obtain a tourist visa to go to Mexico. So we were able to avoid crossing by foot the Mexican and Guatemalan border. Um, We were able to fly into Mexico, 
And we didn't really have a plan. We just knew that we needed to get out of El Salvador. And um, so we got to Mexico. I, I'm fortunate enough to have a Mexican aunt. She married into the family. So we stayed with her family for about a month trying to find a coyote. So like somebody that could, mm-hmm. um, coyote is known as, you know, the person that's going to guide you through the desert. So we stayed there trying to find somebody that would do that for us. Because in El Salvador, the coyotes were charging about $7,000 per person. And I believe the coyote that we found in Mexico only charged our family about $700 per person. So there was like a huge difference in in that cost Mm -hmm. because Salvadorian coyotes have more borders to cross you with. So Mm. depends on the market, right? So, um, so... We were there for about a month. We found somebody that was going to be able to to cross us over as a family. Because at the time, a lot of coyotes did not feel comfortable crossing children through the border, through the desert. So I actually just learned about this. My parents just shared that with us, that the reason why it was so hard for us to find somebody that would help us is because all of the coyotes wanted wanted to put my siblings and I in a car and crosses through through the line, you know, like when you drive over to Mexico, what is that called? Like, uh, I guess. Um, I just know it's like the main, just like uh, traffic. Yes, yeah, it's like, you have to go called. through a checkpoint. You have to yeah, go right. through a checkpoint. You have to, yeah. It's just so, an entry, like a, lit, just yeah. a legal entry. Yes. So most coyotes, what they do is that they hide the children in the car whether it's like below the car, um, underneath the seats. Uh, and that's what most most of them wanted to do. And my parents didn't want that because there had been cases where the parents walked through the desert and the children got caught mm-hmm. through the line, through the traffic, through the car. Or the children passed and then the parents were caught while they were crossing the desert. So nobody wanted the responsibility of children actually walking across the desert with their parents. But my parents' mentality was, look, if we all if we all get across, we do it together. If we all get caught, we do it together. Mm. And so um, finally we were able to find somebody and um, we ended up walking for three days across the desert. Um, that's actually a really short amount of time. I think there's been people that take routes that are about a week or more, even mm-hmm. 10 days. So even it's weird to say that we were fortunate because it was a very unfortunate event to to go through. But um, yeah, I, I think as an 11 year old, I was, and as the oldest, I think I've talked with my siblings how different we all reacted to that experience because of our view of the situation. So for me, it was more like, okay, I'm a leader now, so I need to just keep going. Like, I, there's no, I can't say that I'm tired. I can't cry because my legs hurt. I can't, um, I can't tell my parents that I'm scared because then they're going to be scared. So I internalized that a lot by myself, and I think that shaped me into the person that I am today. Because in times of trouble, I don't really share my fears. I don't really share. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm nervous because I I felt like I couldn't do that as a kid to to help my parents out. So 
um, yeah, it was, it's a journey that I, that I wish many didn't have to make. Um, but it's a journey that got me here and my family in a, to a safe space. Now you said it's like, like you were fortunate enough to go and do it within three days. And what, what were like, would you do for energy? Like, you know, like, you know, carrying water and especially as an 11 year old, like, do you have any recollection of like what kind of food and that journey takes? I know like in a desert hydration and just like, obviously meals that you can carry. How does, do you remember what that was like? Yeah. So I actually didn't carry anything. So my dad was the one carrying everything, uh, which it did it. It wasn't the best idea because, uh, so he was carrying about five gallons of water and the second night he, uh, his knees gave out because they were swollen from, from how much weight he had been carrying for like two days. And mm-hmm. so I remember that that's what we, we had for water. Looking back at it, I wish somebody would have prepped us better to say, maybe you should take Pedialyte instead. Um, because I think that would have like helped us more because we did run out of water. Uh, we used um, dry meat to eat, like our source of protein. And for our energy, we had been advised during their time in Mexico, you meet a lot of people that have made this trip multiple times. So like, I think mm-hmm. we got some advice from there. Um, so they also told us to bring apples um, because apples give you I don't know if this is scientifically proven, <laughs> but they did tell us that apples um, take away your take away your uh, hunger and they give you energy. And so um, I, that's why we we did for food. But we did end up running this. We ran out the second day. We still had the night to walk. And so, I mean, we were children like I was 11. My dad, my brother was nine and my little sister was six. So I think like we didn't expect us to go through that much food in such a short amount of time. Uh, There were 40 other individuals making the trip with us. So they would all just share, um, they would share a little bit of their water with us, some other food. Um, But yeah, I think we mostly focused on apples and water for for that day. I I, want (laughs) to... I I don't want to get into this too much because I don't want to cut into your own content, Kenya, that you have. Oh, no, you're I, I, I think this is a really a great crossover. opportunity to, to, to plug the fact that, uh, of course, your podcast, Coffee with Kenya, the very first episode is this absolutely mind-blowing uh, recounting of this journey in full with your family, with your mm-hmm. siblings. Uh, which, you know, is kind of like that came across, you know, my feed and I listened to that and that blew me away. And and so, like, uh, for anyone who hasn't listened to that, please go, go, <laughs> go subscribe to, to to Kenya's podcast, Coffee with Kenya. It's on Apple. It's on Spotify. Uh, where it, It's on a couple other places as well. Um, SoundCloud. So just Spotify, yeah. Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it is it is an absolute uh, amazing first episode, uh, and, and there are, of course you've got five episodes up right now, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. So and far. So, um, but definitely, like you listen to that first one, you will be hooked. Uh, the other ones are also amazing, uh, but just uh, one of the best things I've listened to this year. Because you launched in twenty twenty one, correct? Yeah, twenty twenty one. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. 
Um, but just to, to come along. So like, um, now that you're here, your parents, you got 40 under 40. What are like, when you, when you got this good news, like, do you have like a, a meal celebration with your family? Like, how did you celebrate? Like, what was, what, like, how did you break it to your parents? Like, tell me all about this, this good news. <laughs> yes. So I, so it was a very big week for me because I got the notice. I got notified about 40 under 40 on Wednesday. And then on Friday, I also received a job offer. And that same week. So it was just, it was just so many good news coming my way. Uh, I don't know if this is going to sound bad, but I think everybody else was more excited for me. I guess I didn't know the, the magnitude of what 40 under 40 really means or, um, so it just, everybody, my, my family, um, my mom cried <laughs> and, uh, my brother who's also named David, he was like, I've never seen him more excited in my life. So I thought like, wow, this is like a big deal. <laughs> and so um, we ended up celebrating at Friday and I was like, you know what? Let's be bougie. I was like, let's get something expensive <laughs> as hell <laughs> to celebrate, which is probably not even that expensive. But um, so we, I was like, I don't want anybody cook. I don't want anybody to cook. Um, so we ordered from the seafood trap. You know, the bag mm. that has everything. So we yes. order a couple of those bags. Yes. And I say that we were bushy because those bags are like $79. So I was like, yeah. okay, let's do it. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot of food in them. That's awesome. It is a lot of food. Yes. That feeds a ton of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then we got some steamed rice from Rolling Walk. And then we called, like, it was a really good meal. I love that. You can just hit up that whole block. They've got so much oh, yeah. good stuff in there. It's desserts at La Michoacana. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you remember what kind of like food or meals that you'd have as a kid, like growing up, like that were linked to celebrations? And I think we we talked about in our pre-interview, like going to McDonald's was for like for mm-hmm. me, like I had a birthday party at McDonald's and or going to like you know, a, a fast food place that you normally don't go to was considered like a celebration or even like um, my mom making pozole or like special occasions. Like, is there any dishes or places that that you would go as a kid to celebrate birthdays or or life events? Yeah. So I would say in the United States, I'm trying to think um, early on, early on, like I think we had within the last within the three years that we had just arrived here, uh, we we didn't really have a lot of time together because my parents were working two jobs. And so there were two very special meals that I, I do remember having. So the very first one was my dinners for about three years were all spent at McDonald's because my mom was working in the night shift at McDonald's. So I, I would say that that was my very special meal. And um both of my parents worked at McDonald's. My dad was a maintenance um, person in the morning. So employees at McDonald's get coupons. So I think like a Mac chicken for people would be like a dollar for us was 50 cents. So I felt super special because, you know, we would <laughs> walk in there with the coupons. And uh, so that I think thinking back at the early years in the United States that I, I would say that that was my favorite meal because... Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a time that I got to see my mom um, because she would come home at around midnight after they had closed. 
Um, and then I would see her a little bit in the morning, but then I would have to go to school. Um, so that was the time that we spent together. The second meal that I remember that kind of became a tradition in our family is that Sunday breakfast is our our time together. So like we're not really like all of us are not really expected to make plans for Sunday breakfast because that's that's our time together and that's when we make very traditional Salvadorian breakfast. So black beans. Uh, I don't know what would you call it in English, like liquefied black beans or, but they're not like the whole bean. You like put them in the blender, blended. Okay, Maybe? pureed. Pureed, pureed. Yes. Yeah. yes, okay. Um, and so pureed black beans, fried plantains, eggs, mm. Uh, and then Salvadorian sour cream. That's like our meal that we have. And I just had that this morning before <laughs> recording this. So, yeah. So that's so, the time. I think for us, that's the time that we come together as a family. I'm curious, what was your, what was your McDonald's order as a kid when you would go, you know, spend time with your mom? Did you have like a favorite or a couple of favorites that you'd always go to? Oh, that's a good question. My chicken. I love my chicken. I am. <laughs> chicken. Yes. But actually it's interesting that you said that David, that you also had like, you know, that you had a party at McDonald's when my parents, cause they live pay, paycheck to paycheck. Uh, but if, when they had a really good week, like we were, somewhat stable mm -hmm. then i would order a much uh, a big mac but i wouldn't because <laughs> they're more expensive you know so i would yeah. always think like i'm not gonna get a big mac because it's a little bit selfish i know my parents need the money so i always order a chicken because it was cheaper but for for good days it was a big mac nice how about you doug do you have like a, a mcdonald's go-to as a kid, oh, man, I mean, I think pretty, pretty early on, my parents were like, fast food is bad. Mm -hmm. um, Cause like, I, I mean, my parents, they, they definitely had some amount of struggle, you know, uh, immigrating here. Like my dad came over first, but he was coming over once again as like, he, he also, you know, went to college, but he came over here on like kind of a, trying to become a professor track. And so, mm -hmm. uh, and so, it, it, it was definitely a little bit different and we had some struggles, but, uh, and my mom also like, I think she waitress at a restaurant for a while at a Chinese restaurant, but it was still very different. And so I think there was always this perception that like fast food was not good for you. They were, uh, I don't know. They, my mom was also very like health oriented. And so she mm -hmm. picked up on a lot of that early, like hate on fast food kind of stuff. And like, this is why everything is wrong with your kids. And you know, they, they were very skeptical of that. And, uh, and so initially, like, my mom was very much into, like, home cooking and things like that. And so McDonald's was, like, a treat. And I definitely wanted to have a birthday party at McDonald's or, like, one of – like, I think for me it was Burger King because they gave you the crown. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. I remember the crown and being like, man, I want that. Like, and, and you know, but um, but I think what ended up winning out was just, like, pizza ended up becoming that, like, very special occasion thing. Like, a pizza – I think was also, like, the 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 – what was it? Uh, the – read a book yep. campaign mm -hmm. with, with pizza hut and you would get, you would finish books and then you would get stickers. And then if you got enough of them, then you would get a personal pan of pizza that became a big thing. And so like for birthdays growing up, I remember being like begging my parents for the money to be able to order a pizza for the birthday party. Uh, and so like, and that was like a big deal and mm. you know, that, that was like the best. Thing. And then, which is so weird. Cause then you get to like, 
you grow up, you go to college and it's like pizza every day (laughs) (laughs) and you just, you just, yeah, overload on it and, and things like that. But like, um, definitely McDonald's was, um, I think the Big Mac had a special lure. I think that's true. Like it was just, it was just a lot of food that you had that bun in the middle, like Mm. a club sandwich Mm -hmm. and it was just a lot of food. They had the jingle, they had a, a bunch of other things around it, surrounding it. Um, but I think Burger King also was, was a, was a big part of growing up. So I, one thing that I, I that I know that we we talked about, and one that I one topic I really want to get into is, you know, recently you told us that you've you've made some big changes in sort of your relationship to food, mm-hmm. um, and for I, I think are some very like complex and interesting reasons, and, and I want to talk a little bit more about that. And so you know where you are with your relationship with food, where where it was, we've learned a little bit about that, uh, and then why why that's been shifting, why that's been evolving. Yeah, so I think this pandemic um, forced me to to view and reflect on my relationship with food. Um, so I would say I still live at home, so I still live with my parents and my family, um, but I haven't been present for the last seven years. Oh, wow. So people, oh, wow. you know, like they're like, well, how do you do it? At, like, how do you do it living at home? but I'm really never at home. So the four years that I was in college and I was a commuter student, for four years, I would come and sleep for five hours and then leave again uh, for work and everything. And and that's where my, I think that's where I couldn't ignore my eating disorder in college because um, before college, I really didn't eat a whole lot because of this pressure that I think I was receiving, mostly from our family, to be honest. I think like in Latino households and possibly immigrant households, um, there's like there's like a war going like they want you to eat. They don't want they don't want you to gain weight. Mm-hmm. Like, right. right? Yep. Like they get offended if you don't eat their food. But then as soon as you start to put on a couple of pounds, that's the topic of conversation like oh my gosh, like, what do you, like, maybe you should eat a little bit less or um, maybe let's go on a walk because, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> so I don't know if it was just my family and I don't want to assume that it was everybody's family, but I think there's definitely a battle going on with our relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I grew up in that environment where I, you know, like I was expected to finish my food but then, then comments would be made about my body, right? And so as a teenager, I, I internalized that. So I started eating less and less and less. And then when I got to college, I still continued to eat only one meal a day, except that this meal was no longer homemade. So this meal was, I can tell you all the places I've been addicted to. So <laughs> I think I survived on Caesar salad from Noodles and Company for a year. That was my only meal of the day. Um, my work was on 42nd and, um, Mm -hmm. grand. So another year I got really obsessed, which is not obsessed, but that was my go-to for food. Um, Mm -hmm. from Palmer's market, one of their sandwiches Mm -hmm. was my only meal of the day. And, um, what was the other place? Oh, Subway. Subway was my go-to too for some time. But what happened in college is that I still wasn't eating enough but the meal that i was using to keep me going was extremely unhealthy uh and so i ended up gaining like about 40 pounds 
And so then people would look at me and say like, Kenya, you're like, maybe you're eating too much. And I'm like, no, it, I'm not eating enough. But what I'm eating, what I do eat, is ext- it doesn't have any source of protein. Mm-hmm. It's just bread, like bread. bread to keep me full for the day. And so I continue and I try to change that behavior a little bit after I graduated from college. But then I started traveling a lot. So for, for work. So I, I think like I was averaging about three different states a month. Um, so oh, wow. so I, would, I think I would be out of my house three weeks of them during the month mm-hmm. and then only one week at home. And so I continue that same pattern because the only meal that I would be having would be at an airport or whenever I had a chance because I was so busy with work. So this pandemic made me realize that there were a lot of rules that I came up in my head that nobody told me that these were rules. Like I gave, I came up with the rule that um, bagels were bad for me, that everybody else mm-hmm. could enjoy bagels but me. <laughs> um, and I came up with the rule that rice was bad for me too. And Italian food. That's another, I'm still not there yet. Like I still need to tell myself that Italian food is food. And so, um, and so I came up, I think within the last, I mean, since I became, since I was a teenager, I came up with so many rules that kept me from foods because I didn't want to eat them and gain weight. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I came across, I think on Instagram, I think I came across this concept of intuitive eating on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And so these dietitians, mostly women of color, we're talking about how diets are racist and how diets in the United States make us believe that our own foods are unhealthy. And I think it was like one of them was talking about how Asian communities, um, their dishes have a lot of rice, mm-hmm. like just different variations of rice. And so when I noticed, I'm like, that is so fucked up. I was like, <laughs> I've been, I've been thinking and making all these rules that are in like are telling me that like communities of color and their food is wrong, but it's mm-hmm. not wrong. It's you know, like our families back home, they eat that and they're fine. So I started challenging myself a little bit and started looking in, in intuitive eating. Um, and I would say within the last six months, I've managed to still meet my fitness goals and actually even I don't weigh myself, but I've like I've gone from a size L in shirts to a size small while eating everything that our culture has to offer. And so it's been wonderful. So explain explain <laughs> to our listeners what, for those um, who are not, I mean, I'm not sure what exactly is intuitive eating. Like can you explain a little bit, elaborate a little bit what intuitive eating, eating is? Yes. So intuitive eating is, it's the opposite of diets. So all diets will have you restrict yourself. Like, let's say, uh, I don't even understand keto, so I'm not even going to go there. But all of the diets, if you look at them, they tell you, okay, go 30 days without eating X, Y, and Z. Right. All of those things lead to the eating disorders because they're not telling you, it's not teaching you how to listen to your body. So intuitive eating is this philosophy that you become the expert of what your body needs. So, um and learning your hunger signals. So um, I think, Doug, you said something that made me think that was such a good thing that you said that when you have dreams of food, mm-hmm. 
and you satisfy, <laughs> you know, you, you become that, the, you make your dreams become a reality, that's yeah. intuitive eating because you're listening to your body. Your body's telling you, you know what? I am craving X, Y, and Z today. And I'm going to have it without feeling shameful. So intuitive eating is just listening to your body when it's hungry and not restricting it. And but also listening to when you've had enough. So, for example, um, on the other side of eating disorders, there's binge eating. And so when you binge eat, um, you're not listening to your body because your body does give you cues to say, you know, I've had enough. I'm full. I've got everything that I, that I, that I wanted. And so on the other side, it's like people don't listen to those signals mm -hmm. that their body is saying. So intuitive eating is just as you start to pay attention and, and as you start to eat food that you crave, it leads to moderation because you know, when you've had enough. Right. Right. You know, you mentioned something interesting that I, I, I feel like threads through a lot of what we've talked about and, and that you said that, you know, you can, you can eat what you crave or you can eat what your body is telling you to eat. Um, but that, you know, you mentioned shame and I feel like shame is such a big part of, of like diet culture or mm -hmm. diets or, or even, even surrounding like our families, you know, once again, like shame is a big part of, of that in terms of what you should be eating, what you shouldn't be eating or here, eat this. Now I'm going to shame you. <laughs> yeah. And so like, and so you can't really like win, you know? And so the only thing that's happening is that they're just adding more shame on top of things and how that like, it's really, really, really harmful. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's like definitely messed up my perceptions of food and my, my relationship with food before as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's also like a lack of education. I think we don't cover nutrition in in many communities as well as like, you know, normal education. Because it's like, you know, we're told to like you have the keto diet, you have like the the Atkinson's diet, right? Or whatever mm -hmm. that's called. And you have all these like paleo and and then like yeah. when you were talking about rice, I remember and I think part of the your rules that you said you were making up i feel like society were implying those rules i remember the the zero carb diets right that that eating breads and and giving up carbs was was the diet trend and you know like mm -hmm. you talk about your struggle with italian food and and that's the thing is like people enjoy pasta but then you have these diets like oh i can't eat carbs mm -hmm. so then you know italian cuisine gets essentially demonized and saying like, oh, you can't have pasta. So now we have the you know zucchini noodles and butternut <laughs> squash noodles to to replace yeah. this familiarity. But you know we have we have, these are centuries of of meals, and I think what mm -hmm. we we're trying to just be extremes. Like and then the rice. Um, I remember when brown rice was a thing. Like oh, brown rice is healthier. You know, white rice is the villain. Like avoid white rice by all means. And it's like <laughs> that that was. There was no, like no education behind it with like either moderation or mm -hmm. or even our society's you know transition into a more um, sitting down like workspace right like these yeah. these meals come from generations because it was hard labor and you need the energy mm -hmm. to to understand like to have your body go through that and I mm -hmm. think we're still learning and and you know a lot of cultures get victimized saying like don't eat this this is bad for you. Right. Like don't eat tortillas because that's a lot of carbs, only carbs. So then mm -hmm. we start creating these meals that eventually don't have any identity. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
I, I, I mean, I think it's, it was interesting, Kenya, when you were saying that, you know, talking about uh, the, the years where you were living with your eating disorder and eating only one meal a day and how you came up with these rules, yeah. you know, and, and I'm like, did you come up with those rules or did someone like, did the news, the media, yeah. articles online, every magazines, everything was just telling you like, hey, you can't eat this. Because like, I remember like, it's, it's so funny, like looking at, you know, what I've seen of diet culture over like 30 years of like, I think I remember it starting out, like my memories were like the demonization of fat. Mm. And like fat is bad for you, low fat, everything, no fat. Uh, it was all about fat. And then, um, you know, calories have been around for a while. And so they, you know, there's always this demonization against calories. And then uh, there was no sugar and then there's carbs. No carbs was a big thing, mm -hmm. you know, growing up. And now we have, yes, we have diets like the Whole30. We're just like, no, just don't eat anything. Cut out everything and then add it back. <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> whole, this, whole this, like, what are we eating anymore? What are we allowed to eat yeah. anymore? And I, I think it's, it's becoming, it's become so ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I, I think Whole30, you know, it's the only reason, like, I kind of appreciate it. It's kind of like, it's a detox, essentially what it is, right? You're detoxing. Right. It's like juicing. You're just, okay, we're going to figure out what your body really hates. It's hard mm. and it's difficult. Yeah. I can never do but it. But I think behaviorally, I don't know if anyone ever really follows through because mm. it's it's less about the whole 30. It's more about what your life is after that. Yeah. That, that whole 30 is supposed to inform. And I've done it a couple of times and it, it has not affected my behavior in any substantial way. And I think yeah. that's my, my thing with intuitive eating is like, you know, I, I want to understand it more, but the thing is also is like we come, you know, like you know, understanding your cravings. But the thing is like this food was engineered for us to crave it. So it's like, is it yeah. intuitive eating? Is it what our body wants, or is it a drug that our body wants that we're like feeding into it because we think it needs it? But in reality, it's not nutritious. It's just like, you know, these these fast foods and these snacks were engineered to make sure we continue eating it. So that, that's my yeah. whole thing. I want to understand it. And it's like, I want to know, like, do yeah. you, do you fall into that? Like when you're like, Hey, I really want this, but do you think about like, is it what my body wants or is it, mm -hmm. do I want this because it's what I grew up eating or it's, it's what the ingredients or the sugars that make my body like have the dopamine effect. Right. Like, do you yeah. think about that? Yeah. So I, I, I appreciate that comment so much because that's what I used to think about intuitive eating. I heard about it from my sister at first, I'm like, okay, so am I just going to have everything I want? Like I'm going to have all these cookies because that's why my body's wanting, right? Um, so that was the misconception that I had with intuitive eating because once you start to listen to your body, you learn that it's not sweets that you're craving. Like let's say a cake or a cookie. It's actually this banana in your counter that you haven't touched for the last five days. <laughs> so, so for me with intuitive eating, um, I do know how to make a, like a nutritious plate. So all of my, all of my plates have uh, protein, carbs, which Doug, I appreciate you mentioning that because I do think it was society telling me that I have these rules because mm -hmm. I stayed away from carbs, uh, quote unquote, for a very long time. So through intuitive eating, I've learned to make my own plate of what is going to keep me full. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's, that's the notion of it. It's like you should feed your body nutritious things. So nutritious things may be white rice, and that's okay for you to have. Um, 
and, and with the idea that maybe once in a while you will be out with your friends and you will want to have a drink and dessert. And let's remove the shame from that, right? Because mm-hmm. afterwards, I think we've all been there where we like, you know, maybe I should have had that cocktail because now I like that was a lot of calories. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I shouldn't do wine and cheese because cheese, that's a lot of calories and carbs in, in one sitting. So with intuitive eating, I think you learn to listen to your body and feed it things that need that it needs, such as vegetables, protein, carbs, with the idea that if you do have one of those meals one day, that it's okay. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. that you can also dis- enjoy that. So that was a misconception that I had. For me, I would say right now during a week, maybe like two meals during the week are, are meals that I eat out, um, that I uh, that I do take out just because I've enjoyed learning how to cook and um at the beginning, you mentioned like, what am I go to breakfast? I, for a very long time, I think for two years, I'd never ate a toast because it was like quote unquote carbs. And like, I, mm-hmm. I need to stay away from bread. So now I'm like learning to have a good relationship with toast, toast bread. So that's what I'm incorporating into my breakfast. And slowly but surely, I'm starting to feel less bad about having bread again because mm-hmm. of this idea that it's okay for me to eat these things. So you're saying you're a millennial who never had avocado toast? No, because I feel like that was gentrification at its finest. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Yes. I grew up eating avocado when I was little and nobody was eating avocado with right. me. And now everybody wants to have it. No. No, yeah. I, that's a protest. So now, of now you refuse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when, when he was like avocado toast, I'm like that's guacamole and <laughs> right. Yeah, it is guacamole. Yeah, no, but that's you, a. I, I don't do it. But you did yeah. mention- avocado. Yeah, that that was the beginning of the good fats. Yes. like craze. Yes. Uh, yeah, and then keto started happening and <laughs> a bunch of other things. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm glad you're you're in a better place because I know you mentioned in our in our pre-talk that uh, the last six months were the best, like the best time, like the best journey you've had with food and your best relationship with food. And I feel okay. like you're you're still um, going through this journey and and learning because I think we're we're all learning through this. You know, we have this guilt. We're all trying these these diets for, um, and also like you know coming from communities like we're all trying to combat the what society is telling us is good and what's telling us to be yeah. bad and we're just constantly adjusting and and it's you know it's it's great to hear about your journey cuz i feel like we all go through this journey right like mm-hmm. i've gone through the keto diet and i don't recommend Me it too. for anybody <laughs> don't do it <laughs> the, it i don't think you trust any any diet that tells you to eat just straight things called fat bombs and um yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and actually so I've done diets too. I mean, obviously I, I was struggling with an eating disorder. The last diet I did was in 2018. And that was the one that left me the most fucked up because after that diet, I didn't eat bread for two years. I didn't eat, I only ate brown rice. So you were talking about brown rice. I only had brown, uh, and then I would eat chicken that was barely seasoned. So you can tell you already know who made that diet up, right? So, um, <laughs> barely seasoned chicken it was grilled all the time and so i think the last six months i think that's the crazy part about it for me because i'm learning that what my body needs is for it to be fully energized through good food 
Mm-hmm. And that's how I've been able to meet some of my fitness goals, right? And so, because I remember working out like crazy, but when you're in a diet, like you're working out with uh, with very little energy. So now that's why you need supplements and you need to, uh, you know, like the Energizer, which I haven't tried yet, but I'm kind of curious, you know, like pre-workout thing, um, just because I want to try one time. But <laughs> no, no, I shouldn't. Okay. No. Right. David's shaking his head over here. Okay. I'm, so, I'm shaking my head. So here's the thing. Like as, <laughs> as someone, so at one point I strive to be a bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. Like that's that I did have that journey in my mind. I think it was like after, um, after I graduated college, you know, I started working out more and I was really into that. And you, you come to learn that like G you know, I had a membership at GNC went that I survived on protein shakes and stuff like that. And I had friends who were bodybuilders who competed, who were worked at GNC, but you come to learn that like none of that stuff is regulated. Mm. And mm. when I think like pre-workouts, like I think most of it, if you drink a cup of coffee, green tea, get your caffeine, okay. um, because you do have reactions to it. You have the tingling sensation, you have itching across your body. So it's, it's a whole thing. So like I, I definitely do your research before. Like, yeah. If you want to try it, buy a little thing, but definitely do your research before you like try the pre-workout, like try this thing that like does give you like essentially it's like an energy drink in powdered form. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm going to stick with my coffee then. My yeah. coffee in eight hours of sleep. Eight hours of sleep. Eight, that's the, oh, sleep. You so just important. need. Yes. Yeah, so important. Because you're the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Do you, do you do any sports? Like are you over here? Like, you know, you said you work on your garage. Do you have like a what? Like, what do you, what's your equipment like? Um, so I have, uh, I do weights, so mostly weights. Um, I'm looking for a boxing bag. So that's my next purchase that I'm going to add into my, to my garage. Um, sometimes I'll play tennis. I play tennis for a little bit. Um, it's a good workout. It's a lot of running, but I don't like to run. So that's my problem. (laughs) But um, I've gotten into cycling. So I, like, I bought a bike at the beginning of the pandemic because I thought I was going to go crazy. And so like my siblings and my cousins all bought a bike. And so we'll bike, um, together in the summer. So I do that. Nice. A little bit. So mm-hmm. I know you mentioned like a, a boxing bag and this re- helped me reminded me of, um, of our previous conversation during our, our pre pre convo that you try to be vegan. And the reason why is because <laughs> some, some boxers have, have gone plant-based and yeah. you said you've, you've gone vegan for, was that like a long time? How long ago was that? And how was that journey? I was vegan for about a year. Um, I like, you know, I like to say my friend just pointed this out uh, last week because she was vegetarian for a very long time. And I, I used to think that it was because of the animals. I was like, you know, like, pobrecito, those animals, you know, like, they're getting killed. Uh, But I think part of me wanted to be vegan because I was still stuck on this idea that I wanted to give up everything that was, quote, unquote, bad about Mm -hmm. our culture. So I think it was rooted a little bit about my perception with my eating disorder and my relationship with food. But I will tell you that I think through veganism, I learned how to enjoy vegetables a lot more, where I didn't have that relationship before. And fruit. Um, it was it was hard because at the time I was working a lot. So for veganism, I didn't want to be like a junk food vegan. You know, you could probably go to all these different stores and buy a, a lot of stuff that is 
consider vegan, I wanted to to make my own meals. So it was a little bit hard to to do that at home. And my mom didn't quite understand the concept of veganism because she would be like, oh, but it's chicken. You can eat that, right? So she thought it was <laughs> just not eating like uh, beef. Mm-hmm. And so I also found myself um, not wanting to be disrespectful of my family uh, and their culture. So it was, um, so it was like summer uh, and, you know, we do a lot of carne asadas. So I would just be eating a little bit of rice and pico de gallo on the side. And so, because there was any, there was nothing else that I could have, right? Everybody was having their, their chorizo, their carne, like everything, right? So, um, so it was, it was good in the way that I learned how to eat vegetables. I learned to appreciate vegetables and, and fruits a lot more. And I think I still incorporate that into my cooking today. Um, but I, I think it was hard because it was perceived as disrespectful in our communities too. And I never wanted to disrespect them or have them make any accommodations for me because I made this choice, they didn't. So. I, I, I wanna go back to one of the statements you made earlier and, and really sort of interrogate that more and really draw some like clear examples of, of what that means. But you, you mentioned that like diets are racist mm-hmm. uh, and, and many of them, many of them are, and I, I believe that to be true. And I, I'm curious to sort of understand like what experiences you've had where you realize that like, oh, this is like definitely oppressive. This is definitely just, yeah, yeah. Straight out blatantly like racist and, and doesn't do anyone any good. Yeah. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. So my friend, my cousin's best friend, her name is Sarah. She is a, I want to get this wrong, but I think either she's like a dietitian or a registered nutritionist. So that's what she went to school for. She looked at, she looked at the last diet that we were doing. So the one that I did with Elite Edge. So that six week challenge that they have there. So she looked at the menu of everything that we were quote unquote supposed to eat. And she told us that it was not culturally sensitive. And I was like, what do you mean with that? She said, everything that they have here, um, it doesn't take into account that you come from a Latino household. Um, So for example, the only seasonings that we could use in our chicken were salt and pepper. Uh, (laughs) And uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, and so, She's, I should mention, she's Asian American. So Mm -hmm. she said, you know, if um, basically like if let's say someone from Asian background uh, would do this diet, it wouldn't, they wouldn't see anything that we usually see in our family, like Mm -hmm. menus, uh, courses. So when she said that, then I started looking at all of the diets around us. Most of them are telling you to stay away from beans. Most of them are Mm -hmm. telling you like, you can't even have a tortilla like you said. Um, and I started noticing the ingredients and the things that they perceive to be healthy. And I used to think like, well, why, what about my platanos? They're pretty healthy. You know, that that's plantains. Like, I don't know if they're considered a fruit or what have you, but, um, so when she said that to us, that it wasn't culturally sensitive, then it opened my eyes to see how all of the other diets, if you look at what the tell, what they tell you to stay away from. It's usually something that is found that's very uh, 
prominent in, in our meals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely, I, I've noticed when, when looking at any sort of like hot new diet fad, there is, it's definitely centralized, especially the marketing around it. And, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, the, the, the choices they make in terms of what's allowed and what's not um, is definitely centered around, you know, white people. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and what white people are comfortable with. Yes. And so, yeah, like, I mean, you, you look at, oh, the only seasonings allowed are salt and pepper. It's like, well, what do you have against, like, chili powder? Or what do you have yeah. against, like, like how does that powder. nutritionally, yeah, how does that nutritionally affect what you're doing? And, yeah. like, can you please explain why? Or they'll have, like, contradictions, like, if it is all about carbs or is all about starches or anything like that, you'll see that there's some inconsistencies in what they sort of allow uh, as as far as like just what's culturally unfamiliar to them because they yes. aren't thinking about everyone else. Well, and let's not go too far. Just look at the fruits that they tell you to stay away from. So that was one of the very first things that I noticed uh, with the dietitian that I follow on Instagram. She said, stay away from any diet that tells you you can't have fruit. You can't have certain fruits. Mm. And so the diet that I was saying, they would, they would tell us, you only you can only have berries. So like blueberries, Latinos don't eat a lot of blueberries. You know, we're eating like we're eating mangoes, we're eating, we're eating cuties, we're eating banana, pineapple. Um, and so that's another way that I noticed that too. I don't know. I'm not very really well versed in other diets, but any diet that tells you that you should stay away from fruit probably isn't being culturally sensitive either too. Mm-hmm. So I do want to dip back into intuitive eating and and really talk about. I, I, I'm curious how you made that transition. I know that you you started you know learning more about that on Instagram and you started talking with people about that. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that your transition to intuitive eating has been like, okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna finally enjoy some of this food that I've been depriving myself from, and then it was this like big miracle, and now you're an intuitive eater, or was it like? you know, dish by dish thing that was previously forbidden. I'm going to see if I can, you know, consume this without shame and consume this while listening to my own body. Has it been on a, like a per food basis or did you just open the floodgates and you know, how how did that work? So I was introduced by it through social media and my sister. So my sister and I have done workout challenges together uh we work out together we cook Mm -hmm. like healthy meals together um and so she has always noticed that i that i always serve myself in the smallest plate and that i don't grab a whole lot of rice so she was she's all actually she still does this she tells me like hey it's like she says it not so nice but she was like you know you can eat this like don't feel bad like you can you need this like you need carbs she's always saying that you need carbs Kenya wait what and is the not so nice version of that I want to hear yes. what she says it's her it's her face she's like looking at me like you stupid like why aren't you gonna eat like these rice <laughs> um, so or she'll be like no you need to grab more and like her face is just like confused as to what I'm doing um so I really hope that you can be Fatima. She's she's a treat. Um, <laughs> but so it was really her that's been helping me, kind of going along with me in this journey and telling me that it's okay that I eat this. Um, I am taking it step by step. So um, rice was one of the very first things that I tackle. Um, I don't really feel bad about eating that anymore. 
Um, I'm just struggling a little bit with pasta because I, I went many, many years without eating pasta at all because of my perception. Um, bread is another one that I think I feel pretty, I feel with bread, I feel I'm in a good place now uh, mm-hmm. because that's another piece of food that I haven't eaten in a long time. So I think I'm taking it step by step because I think like from having an eating disorder of restricting myself from food, um, I know that there's going to be negative emotions that come if I just tackle it all at once. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting on the, the rules that I share with you. Like, what are those rules? Where did they come from? And are they based on facts or are they based, based on what society and I told myself? So, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's been, it's been cool. I think it's been cool. Uh, not depriving myself anymore. Mm-hmm. That has been fun and enjoying things with my family where before I wouldn't, they would be eating something else and I, I would be eating something completely different. Do you feel like you have, you know, you, you kind of mentioned the rules of like what you couldn't eat. Do you feel like you have new rules or that the way that you eat now or your relationship with food sort of transcends this idea of having rules? That's a good question. I think I do like rules for myself. I'm okay. very strict yeah, for no, myself. That's, yeah. So what I are think, the new rules? Yes. My new rules is that um, I'm making time to eat my breakfast every morning. Um, that I know my body is going to ask me for a fruit around 11, like around 11 before I start cooking. I know that my body is going to ask me for fruit. Uh, so my my rules is to eat, uh, is to eat at least three times a day because I didn't do that before. So that's the only rule is, is to eat three times a day because I know the negative effects that will come if I don't eat enough in a day. So there's nothing, there's no rules anymore about like what I should be eating or what I don't. Uh, it's just more about making sure that I am giving my body what it needs throughout the day. Mm. So more like guidelines. You, you yeah. went from yeah. a million rules to just one. To just, just one, yeah. Eat three times a day. I love <laughs> mm-hmm. that. I love that. That's I. I can't imagine how how good that feels. Yeah. So you mentioned that you know that you your family will eat one meal and then you'll eat your your own meal separately. Like, do you have a favorite memory? You know, like when we eat food and we enjoy food. And, you know, we always look at the the memories and the people we we eat with so like do you have like a favorite memory when it comes like to food or favorite meal yes um so my favorite memory memory i actually wrote a blog about this like short story it's called fried eggs at night so it's on coffee with kenny if you want to check it out so um i think it was within the last within the first 12 months that we had arrived to the united states um maybe the first two years we obviously we were struggling financially and our lights uh, our energy was cut off like shut off mm. and um our stove at the time was electric and we couldn't cook anything so and everything in our fridge was going bad so my parents um built this little grill outside out of like these falling bricks and with wood they cooked us some fried some fried eggs at night and I can't tell you 
how good those eggs were. Just something about the eggs being cooked outside in a makeshift like grill oven. Um, they just tasted so good. Uh, but I think that's my favorite memory because it showed me how resourceful my parents were for us and um, and how I think I became aware of the importance of food. I think I just became aware of um, how food also has the, the, the magic to make you forget of all the bad things that are happening around you. Because it was obviously a very stressful week for my parents, but just having that meal together, um, it made us all feel like things were gonna be okay because we were together and we were sharing this meal outside. Um, and so I think I, I, I might've been like 12. Um, and I just remember thinking that my parents were really fucking cool that they were able to, to take a really negative experience and made it into such a beautiful memory for us. That's awesome. I love that. You can read Kenya's story, Fried Eggs at Night, on her website at coffeewithkenya.com. That's C O F F E E W I T H K E N I A.com, where you'll also find her podcast, blog, and art. Oh, and there's also some information on her book club. Please reach out and let us know what you've liked, what you haven't, and what you would like for us to talk about in future episodes. You can find us and DM us questions and comments at We Are Beyond Hungry on Instagram and Facebook. You can also reach us at wearebeyondhungry at gmail.com. Thank you to Bo Brenton for our music. You can find him on social at B-E-A-U-B-R-E-N-T-O-N. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or however you rate podcasts. And if you're feeling generous, write a sentence or two to help us out. And as always, thanks for listening. Thank you.